Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, if you remember back on Dairy Stream, we covered a podcast on PPDs and how it really impacts your milk check. And that happened back in July of 2020. And since then, we've continued to get a lot of questions and uh, kind of quandaries about what's really happening here, what to do on my milk check, and what details do I really need uh, to know on this subject. So as you requested, uh, we are going to go today into more in-depth with a real expert in this field. And we appreciate the fact that Dr. Marin Bozik is with us today. He is an assistant professor in dairy foods marketing economics at the University of Minnesota. And first of all, uh, Dr. Bozik, thanks for your time and expertise. And I want to stand, start off on a subject obviously a lot of people are familiar with in hearing the term, but maybe need a little bit more definition. So let's just start out talking about why do we need federal milk marketing orders and really what is their usefulness today? Thank you for having me, Mike. And, and I agree with you. This is a very important uh, topic for, for many, many dairymen in the country. So I hope we do a good job today of you know, demystifying some of these terms and, and providing some useful guidance going forward for resolving this kerfuffle that we have right now with PPDs. So why do we need federal orders? Federal orders have been traditionally thought of as a collective bargaining tool that would even the playing field between dairy producers and privately owned dairy processors, particularly beverage milk bottlers. And those same reasons are still valid. If it weren't for minimum price regulations, I could easily manage, for example, Walmart or other large retail chains exercising their enormous market power to reduce the price they pay for fluid milk. And beyond that, federal milk marketing orders can contribute to transparency in milk markets. They can set meaningful benchmark prices for milk and commodities that are then useful for risk management. In fact, relative uniformity in pricing milk across the United States is one of the key reasons why dairy risk management is more developed in U.S. than it is in, for example, Europe. That's interesting to know. Uh, can you take a little time now and explain the topic that really has a lot of people, as you said, kind of oh, scratching their head on, and that is negative PPD, that issue and what it really is? Sure. So in orders where most milk is used for manufactured dairy products, so cheese, powders, yogurts, in those orders, we promise to pay producers based on the value of their butterfat and skin solids. We derive the value of skin solids from cheese and drive that's what's called component value of milk. And when all the milk in the pool, in the federal order pool, is allocated based on the components to producers, and if we, have, if we still have some money left over, then that's called positive PPD. And that money left over is distributed to producers, and that's your positive producer price differential. On the other hand, once we allocate, once we promise to all producers to pay them based on the value of their butterfat and skin solids, and if we realize that we have promised to pay more than we have in the bucket, than we have in the federal order pool, then we have to apply deductions to all milk checks, and that's negative PPD. So the producer price differential is just the difference between the value of milk in the pool and what we have promised to pay producers based on component value of milk. Okay, well, Myron, that's a really good kind of primer as far as what the term means and what it actually is. But what about from that perspective of what really can, you know, can cause component value of milk to be higher than total pooled revenues? What are those? 
yeah, so three factors tend to dominate. Uh, the first, and, and not the one that usually comes to mind, is that skin solids are paid for based on the value in cheese and whey. Uh, you know, so from cheese, we infer the value of protein. From whey, we infer the value of uh, other solids, and that's what producers see on their milk checks. But only a fraction of skin solids are actually used in cheese and whey. Skin solids are also used in non-fat dry milk powder, in yogurts, and yes, it's fluid milk. So whenever we have a positive spread between market value of skim solids in skim milk powder and in cheese and whey, then we pay for components beyond the value they create in the market. And we must dip into PPD dollars to, to do that. So that's why PPDs are lower when the spread between three and four, uh, class three and class four milk prices are larger. And 2020 proved that point in extreme. Let me restate that in different words. We use these skim solids in powders and we use these skim solids in cheese. We pay to producers based on the value of skim solids inferred from cheese. But those same skim solids may not deliver that much value when they're used in powders. So we have a deficit and that's manifested as a PPD. And as you said, last year was a prime example of that. Yes, and 2020, Powder prices went down, cheese prices went up due to aggressive government intervention. So we, were, we had to pay people top dollars for their protein and other solids, whereas in reality, those skim solids did not deliver that much market value whenever they were used in yogurts or powders and due to 2019 uh, class one pricing reforms, even when they were used in fluid milk. So the second factor relates to you know, class one dollars flowing to the pool. Uh, before 2019, the value of skin solids in class one was almost always at least as high as the value of skin solids in cheese. And most of the time, it was much higher. So this is due to the higher off pricing we had un until 2019. But when we switch to the average off pricing, then due to the press prices for powders, class one dollars flowing to the pool were just not as generous. And that was making it more difficult to meet the obligations for component value of milk because that component value, again, was based on cheese. So, Dr. Bozic, so I, how, how, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but how big an impact did that second factor really have? I, I listed that factor as a second in order because the, the most important reason for negative PPDs in 2020 really was the spread between class three and class four prices. Okay. But, you know, if, if we did have higher off, PPDs you know, would still be negative, would have still been negative in 2020, but perhaps not as negative as they as they were. Okay, and the third factor, and again, we are talking to Dr. Marin Bozik. He's giving some insights on the federal milk marketing orders and negative PPDs. But you said the third factor is, of course, depooling. The third factor is indeed depooling. So, and and I really want to be careful how I say this because depooling doesn't make the dollars vanish into thin air. Processors who depooled in 2020 are precisely those that are able to pay the top dollar for protein and other solids. So, if you're a producer that sells their milk to a, to a processor who depooled, there is no reason why that processor would have to have a negative PPD on your milk check. You know, maybe if they depooled only a part of the milk, then you can say, okay, I can understand. But for a processor who completely depooled, they are able to pay the top dollars um, to producers. Uh, they, can, they can pay at least the, the component value of milk. Uh, however, because they are not in the pool anymore, they are not obliged to pay any kind of you know, fair price to producers. There is no federal minimum price that they are uh, mandated to pay. And at that point, it's really between them and the producer and how they contracted for milk. 
Hmm, interesting. So I guess when you talk about the pooling, to kind of clarify it to the producer, how big a villain is that? Uh, yeah, well, so we've seen in 2020 some record levels of depooling that, that we have not seen in the previous 20 years. It's sort of like a cascading failure, if you will. You first have record negative PPDs, then cheese processors realize that if they stay in the pool, they would have to share a substantial part of their revenue from cheese sales with other processors, with powder makers or, or fluid bottlers, and then they decide uh, en masse to, to just leave the pool for a time being and, so that they can keep all that revenue and some of them indeed uh, have shared those dollars back to producers that, that are working with them. Unfortunately, it does not seem like everybody did that. And, uh, and that's really uh, one of the key, key frustration points. Uh, all, uh, in, in, because in all this disturbance of the markets and with the pandemic and government interventions and, and, and basis risk and all that, and to now you know, think that you, you can't even trust your processor anymore and that they are not paying you the fair price, but they're exploiting this extreme situation to keep more money to themselves, uh, I, I think that's problematic. And I think that's to a, some degree justified cause for frustration that, that should be addressed either through private contracting between producers and, and processor or through some policy interventions. And just getting back to this, because I know this is a, a point of contention and also one they're trying to get their heads around and try to better understand, uh, getting back to what you've been talking about, really how widespread is this issue? And does the severity of the issue really differ across different milk marketing orders? It, 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 the issue is widespread. In all marketing orders where most of the milk is used for manufactured dairy products as opposed to fluid milk products, we have uh, seen PPDs be negative for almost all of the months since June 2020. And the PPD was more negative in some orders than others, depending on two factors. First, where does the milk go? You know, if, if, it's, if more milk is going to powders, then uh, you know, PPD is going to be more negative. If more milk is going to fluid milk, then PPD is going to be less negative because you have more of those plus one dollars that, that, that can mask the problem. And then also different orders have different depooling rules. So in some orders, if you, if you leave the pool, you cannot come back for a while. In here in the upper Midwest, if you leave the pool, you can bring back 125% of what you pulled the previous month. And and if you leave the pool completely, you can come back completely in, in six months. So the amount of cheese milk that was depooled in, in the upper Midwest in 2020 uh, was much bigger than we've seen uh, in any year uh, since the year uh, 2000 when the, when the statistics began. You're listening to Maren Bozik here on Dairy Stream. He's an assistant professor in dairy foods marketing economics at the University of Minnesota. Our topics today have been the federal milk marketing orders and producer price differentials, those negative PPDs. And uh, let's get into that if we can. Where does the money from the negative PPD really go? So cheese processors who have depooled have the ability to pay their processors, their producers, at least zero PPD, at least the federal order value of protein, butter, fat, and other solids, the component value of milk. And some chose to do that and some chose not to do it. But it is important to emphasize that even if all the processors pooled that would normally pool, in other words, even if we didn't have depooling in 2020 and currently we would still have negative PPD. And in such a scenario, PPD is not due to depooling. 
It is simply the measure of value not created because we have to pay producers for component value of milk beyond what those components have really delivered on the market. That creates a deficit. You know, unlike central U.S. Treasury, where you can have these trillion dollars deficits and, and we sort of seem to have gotten accustomed to them, uh, federal orders cannot carry a deficit from month to month. So a negative PPD is a deduction on milk check needed to reflect the fact that milk components are just not as valuable as protein and other solids uh, prices would suggest. We, we derive the prices for components in milk based on what those components are valued in cheese. But those same components are less valued, less valuable when they're used in powders or yogurts or in some months even, even fluid milk. That creates the deficit, and that's uh, seen as negative PPD. So it's not that somebody took the money. It's just that that money was never created in the first place. And therefore, you know, it, it, the way it's represented on the milk check is as a deduction uh, against the uh, value of milk if all the milk was used in cheese. And I think that's one point I really do want to stress because that's what I've heard some comments from as well. So as you said, and the clarifying that, that money never really was there, but that's what that price would have been if we were to take in the total value of that milk. Correct? Right. If, 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 we, if, we, if we made only cheese and nothing else, if 100% of all the milk went just to cheese, there would be no PPD because in cheese – those, those skin solids really did deliver protein and other solids values, you know, because we, de we derive protein and other solids prices from cheese and, and driveway uh, market prices. But when you start using those skin solids in powders and, and other products, you, you promise to pay producers based on what those skin solids are valued in cheese, but powders don't sell for as much on the market. And you cannot pay to producers what you didn't generate on the open market by selling the products that were made with that milk. So it's the so negative PPD is the measure of value not created. All right, let's get to the wild card now. I'm on the board of a food bank here in Green Bay, so I know how beneficial uh, the COVID-19 programs were with the government food purchasing program. To what extent did the COVID-19-related government food purchase really impact the PPDs? So 2020 was really a black swan year. Up through March, we thought it was going to be a good year. I was down in Madison, Wisconsin in January uh, uh, 2020, and I was telling folks um, at the Dairy Strong Conference, this is going to be a good year, a year to rebuild your equity. Uh, you know, we, are, we were emerging from multiple years of bad prices. There was optimism in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, the, the irony is that on the very same day when I held that speech, CDC announced that it was the first case of COVID-19 recorded in the United States. And little bit did we know that just a few weeks later, that's going to wreak havoc on not just the economy, not just the dairy sector, but also on the life as we, as we know it, our social lives you know, were completely discombobulated. What was the government intervention uh, in the aftermath of that? Well, it was, re it was recognized very early on that because half of our cheese, half of our butter is consumed through food service, for, uh, eating occasions that happen away from homes. When you cannot go to restaurants anymore, you don't need as much cheese, you don't need as much butter. So prices of milk collapsed within a few weeks, they were down probably five, six dollars or, or more. And shortly thereafter, USDA said, okay, you know, we have to intervene here. We have on one side a food sector, food production sector that is upside down. And on the other side, we have hungry Americans who have lost their jobs. We had 20 million people lose their jobs in a matter of weeks. 
So we have to take care of both situations. And they came up with a food box program where um, government would facilitate purchases of produce, some meat products and dairy products and package and put assemble a box that would be then given through through food banks or other distribution channels. Um, that was quite different, Mike, than how USDA would have intervened 10 years ago if when we had dairy recession. Uh, 10 years ago, they would have bought bulk butter, bulk cheese and bulk powder and put them in government case. I remember uh, that well. They, yeah, and, and this time around, industry was very clear. They said, Uncle Sam, we don't want you to buy bulk products and store them in caves. We don't want those excess inventories hanging over the industry for years to come. So whatever you intervene, intervene in such a way that it's immediately distributed. And Uncle Sam listened. So they purchased a lot of uh, butter. They purchased a lot of cheese, first and foremost, some fluid milk. And that drove the spread between three and four to unprecedented levels. In one of the months, the spread between three and four was in excess of $10 per hundred weight. We've never seen that before. And going back to our previous discussion, what that meant is that when a, skim so when a pound of skim solids is used in cheese and dry way, it was extremely valuable because it was making cheese that was in very, very high demand. But when the same pound of skim solids was passed through the dryer plant to make class four products, it was not much valuable at all because the price of powders were depressed. So you know, that created this friction between three and four, between the value of skim solids in cheese and powders, and that manifested itself as negative PPD. So, so yes, government interventions, as much as they helped improve mailbox milk prices through the increase in cheese prices, they did drive negative PPDs. They create a spread between value of skim solids in cheese and powders, and they created a deficit in the federal order pools, and that deficit was manifested as negative PPDs. So because of COVID-19, you had listed three elements that really impact uh, negative PPDs. But because of COVID-19, that was your really fourth reason why we've had them and remain to have them today. Again, we are speaking with Dr. Amar Bozik. He is an assistant professor in dairy foods marketing of economics at the University of Minnesota. You are listening to Dairy Stream. We're going to be taking a break in a moment, but I know, Marin, you had mentioned the fact that deep pooling did play a role in why we see these negative uh, PPDs. And some people want to be saying, you know, really, what is deep pooling and how does it affect price? Can you go in depth on that subject? Oh, sure. So under federal orders, only class one handlers must pool. Handler is a fancy word for manufacturers. So only plants that are making fluid milk products for retail distribution, they must pool. Whether they like it or not, they have to be in the pool every single month. And nobody else is forced to pool. It would be considered illegal, maybe even unconstitutional to force any other manufacturer to pool. So why do other processors pool at all? It's because they're better off, usually, that to pool than to stay out of the pool. In return for providing balancing capacity to class one plants, they get to participate in sharing revenue from class one sales. And they are thus able to pay their patrons a higher milk check than what they would just based on the value of dairy products that they produce in their plants. And this worked very well in the past because historically, most of the milk in federal orders was indeed milk for fluid consumption. But over decades, the share of pooled milk used for fluid products has dropped. And that decline is making depooling more and more rational, more and more frequently. 
When processors depool some percent of their milk, they are not allowed to come back fully and into the pool next month. All market administrators try to curb this jumping in and out uh, in a very opportunistic way. Now, is that only when the PPD, though, is positive or not? When PPDs are positive, uh, then class three processors would always want to pull as much as they're allowed to pull. Right. So are they allowed to jump back in or not? Uh, they are allowed to increase the amount they pull relative to previous months, but the uh, but not fully. So, for example, okay. in the upper Midwest order, uh, you can only pull uh, up to 125% of what you have pulled pre- the previous months. So, if you depool, for example. Uh, 50 or 60 percent of your milk, it will take you several months to get back to a point where you're fully pooled uh, and you may miss out on some positive PPDs. And that's why even when PPDs are negative, uh, even when they're strongly negative, typically processors do not depool 100 percent. They want to be able to grow their pool eligibility uh, fairly quickly over the next few months. Oh, I understand. Um, and, but when they do depool, uh, they have no obligations towards the pool. They cannot draw money from the pool, and they are unregulated. They can pay dairy producers whatever they want, whatever they think they can pass. And what they actually do pay dairy farmers depends on the nature of the contract between them and the dairy farmer. Let me give you an example. What if the contract between dairy farmer and the processor says that the processor commits to paying at least the federal order minimum price? And that's the only thing that says that. Well, that works well when PPD is positive, but when PPD is negative, that processor depools, they have, they have no payments to the pools, you know, so they, they keep all the money from high cheese prices, and then they turn around and they pay the, uh, the producers just as if they were pooled. So they tell the producers, they, we cannot pay you much because of negative PPD, but they actually keep the money from that negative PPD because they, they're depooled. Now, I, I cannot tell you, you know, how widespread this approaches uh, certainly not i would say majority of processors do not behave that way um but there are some that that have used this loophole uh, or at least uh, extreme circumstance in 2020 to to appropriate more more funds uh than would be considered fair by an unbiased observer so what can be done well one thing that dairy producers can do is work on reforming their contracts with their with their handler if they're shipping to, to a private company. They could say something like this. When you are pooled, you have to pay us at least the blend price, at least the federal uh, order minimum price, you know, depending on our components, et cetera. But when you're depooled, we want you to pay at least the component value of milk you know, with zero PPD. That is a perfectly legitimate request from dairy producers to any cheese processor uh, who is privately owned. And you know, they can figure out the, the details, you know, uh, the, you know, depending on location, et cetera. But in general, a processor who has depooled has no right to, well, right is a strong word, um, because legally they are allowed to. But mm-hmm. it is, in my opinion, not fair to come around and tell producers that their milk check is reduced by a negative PPD if the processor is indeed depooled. Because depooling means that they're not subject to negative PPD. And to then tell producers that they still have to reduce the milk checks because of negative PPDs, well, that's kind of double dipping. First, they didn't pay anything to the pool, and now they're going to pay less to to dairy producers. That's, That's not fair. There's no way that we can justify that as fair. 
So just go back to one of your answers there. If I'm a dairy producer listening to this podcast and I'm looking for how I can get maybe a little more leverage on this whole scenario, you're saying maybe one of the first things to start is the nature of your contract with that processor might give you a little bit more power there and hoping to keep that price where you want to see it. If, if there is strong competition for your milk in your, in your area, if the plant that you're shipping to is the only buyer around, then unfortunately you don't you're really have much negotiating yeah. power. Yeah. So right. it is, it is, you know, and on the other hand, like if, if there is strong competition for milk, it's a sort of like a chicken and egg problem. If there is strong competition for milk, you don't really have to tell them much anyway, because they don't want to lose you to another buyer. So they'll treat you nicely uh, anyway. And even when, when they won't just oblige to the letter of the contract, they will oblige to the spirit of the contract as well. But certainly pay attention to what your contract says. What must your processor pay you for the milk you're delivering? If they're deep pooled and if they're, if they're cheese maker, um, they should be able to pay you a price with at least zero PPD. I'm going to say this has been a spirited conversation. We're certainly glad to have Dr. Marin Bozic with us. He, again, is a associate professor in dairy foods marketing economics at the University of Minnesota. When we return, I am going to ask him a little bit about what are the prospects for negative PPDs here in 2021. But then I'm going to go a little deeper on how we might be able to solve the issue. And is it something that we can solve near term? We'll get into those questions as we continue here on Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. Compeer Financial is the leading financial service provider for agriculture and rural communities. We serve the needs of farmers and neighbors with local offices in Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. To learn more, visit Compeer.com or contact us at 844-426-6733. Trademarks of Compeer Financial, an equal credit opportunity lender. Well, this is Dairy Stream. I'm Mike Austin. A pleasure today to be sharing some time with Dr. Marin Bozik, Assistant Professor in Dairy Food Marketing Economics at the University of Minnesota. Today, we've been talking about federal milk marketing orders and producer price differentials or PPDs, and mostly talking about the negative PPDs. Our podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, and we thank them for helping us bring this podcast your way. And as we were talking, we were getting into some reasons uh, for negative PPDs, uh, talking about the pooling. And also we wanted to talk a little bit about the prospect for negative PPDs in 2021. So I'll ask you, Marin, uh, have we turned the corner in your opinion? Is that worst part of it finally behind us? So I follow several uh uh, forecasts produced weekly by federal milk marketing order economists, so folks that work for the federal orders, and they don't typically share those forecasts publicly, but they were very kind to allow me to receive those updates. And those economists who are intimately familiar with their orders, they see negative PPDs continuing for the rest of 2021. What may be driving that? Uh, well, as of March 11th, the average spread between class three and class four futures for the rest of 2021 is about $2 per hundred weight. And if you look at the average spread between three and four over the last five years, excluding the pandemic, five years prior to the pandemic, it was only 92 cents. So that's quite so, a difference. 
that's quite a difference. You know, that goes back to our previous discussion on paying people for the value of skim solids and cheese, whereas those skim solids deliver less value on the market when they're used elsewhere in, in, any, in any class that is partially priced based on class four value of skim solids. So whether the worst is behind us will really depend on what happens to cheese price over the next few months. And on one hand, we have very promising demand situation, more food box purchases by USDA, um, reopening of the economy as more folks get vaccinated. But on the other side, we have few new cheese plant expansions that, that are about to get completed, and we may end up with more cheese on the market than demand for it. So, so that may be the dominating effect. It's, it's hard to say at this point which force will dominate. On the powder side, we are seeing strong demand overseas. Not a strong production, but milk production overseas, so, so that may push the powder prices higher. What will happen to PPD will be driven by the relative value of skim solids in cheese versus powder. So whether we have turned the corner or not you know, will entirely depend on that, you know, the spread between three and four. All right, that's what we'll keep an eye on then. Again, uh, we are talking a little bit about what's going on with the federal milk marketing orders, but more on the negative PPDs. But I do want to kind of look at how we might re resolve this issue. So let's start out on the fact that, you know, I've been hearing some national groups are working on new pricing formulas. Uh, have you seen any proposals that look promising to you? So first of all, I want to say it's really encouraging to see various groups calling for inclusive open process towards finding a better policy framework. And, and I think that there are what we can call maintenance issues that need to be resolved very soon. And then there are also long-term strategic reform issues. And maintenance issues deal primarily with class one pricing rules and also make allowances. Strategic reform issues are much less defined and they can range from how many classes of milk should we have to how the revenue should be pooled, et cetera. Those are like, you know, sort of like a deep surgery. So what I would personally like to see more emphasis being put on is the milk check transparency, whether it's through federal market orders or otherwise. It is really frustrating and it hurts my heart when I talk to dairy producers and I see that they just don't understand what's driving their milk check. And if they can even trust their cooperative or privately owned processor to be treating them fairly in a situation like this. You know, and the glue that was holding federal orders together all these decades were, were fluid milk sales and class one dollars. Unfortunately, fluid milk sales are declining, and what we are seeing right now is system coming unglued. We can play with the rules until the cows come home, but there just aren't enough class one dollars in the system anymore. And the pandemic and these extraordinarily large spreads between three and four have only fast-forwarded us to a situation that would probably happen anyway sometimes later in this decade. We will have to substantially redefine the quote-unquote social contract in dairy, and it will have to be based on transparency between processors and producers, between cooperatives and their members. Negative PPDs cannot be the cesspool that aggregates deep pooling loopholes and subsidization of high-component dairy herds and the long overdue reforms and make allowances, and then on top of everything else, politically motivated interventions in cheese markets and excuses for not paying producers their fair share. Producers should be able to look at their milk check and understand immediately how the value they receive for their milk relates to the value that was created for the processor by using that milk in, those, in, in dairy products. And it should be the same whether it's a private processor or a cooperative. Well, I'm sure listening to this podcast right now, there's a lot of producers applauding you saying, yeah, that's the way I feel as well. I guess my question is, though, do you see this as a realistic goal that could happen not too far down the road? Or is this something that the industry, as producers are concerned, really are going to have to fight to make this happen? 
think that th- this is going to be with us for a while. You know, I, I think that you know there are some tweaks that that can be done in 2021. You know, as I said, the the maintenance issues. The first will be the class one pricing, and uh, you know there are some ideas there that would you know bring potentially more dollars to the pool, uh, which may alleviate the issue a little bit, but that will not solve the structural problem. And the structural problem is that the fluid milk sales are simply not at the level anymore that they can keep the system together in a stable formation for the next decade. Um, so there's, you know, there are talks of the hearing, but the question is what happens at the hearing. And let's go into that then, because I know producers and processors want to raise the issue at the highest level. And and there's talk of hosting a federal marketing order hearing through the USDA that's been floated out there. So in your opinion, what do you feel would happen at such a hearing? And in your opinion as well, what's the preferred outcome of such a hearing? So at a federal order hearing, we could have really two different scenarios. First, the industry could come united or nearly united and present to USDA what they as an industry believe is the best solution for current burning issues. And USDA would most likely go, go forward with that solution. Alternatively, the industry may come to the hearing with many different voices advocating for quite different solutions, and USDA doesn't like to be seen as picking winners and losers. So if that were to happen, if we have a a hearing where you have multiple groups with quite different ideas uh, put into the record, then it's entirely possible that a status quo would prevail. In other words, that USDA would not propose any changes relative to the current model. They would just not propose a referendum uh, to change anything. So before going any further, then, if you're advising the dairy industry, it's better that they have a united voice on a way to go forward, better than coming there with several uh, prospects or proposals and really not getting anything out of it? Well, I think that that we are due for a a solid debate. Uh, I I think that we are due for, you know, and and debates are always messy, like, you know, Uh, if we were living in an autocratic country, like then, you know, behind closed doors, three, you know, uh, gray heads can just decide what's best for all of us. And they just, they can just issue an edict, right? That's not the way that democracy works. That's not the way that our republic works. So we should not be afraid of, of noisy debates, of, of uh, robust argumentation in favor or against something. But at the end of the day, to get, to get anything accomplished through a hearing, we will, we will need to uh, come together, you know, to some sort of consensus. USDA is not going to be willing to to be that arbiter uh, between different visions of how to proceed. Uh, and there are some actually, you know, quite big risks of, of for for both their industry and USDA if they put forward uh, federal order reform that does not, you know, uh, enjoy the support of a majority of dairy producers. Go forward on that point then. What do you see as the risk reward of a federal milk marketing order hearing for both dairy producers and processors. So when USDA puts their reform proposal to our referendum, and they say this is our tentative ruling, and you know we the dairy producers now have to ratify this. Once we have a referendum, the alternative to passing the referendum is not the status quo anymore. A failed referendum leads to a dissolution of a federal order. And so the risk in any federal order hearing is that it will go to a referendum, the proposed solution will go to a referendum, the referendum will fail, and then the order would dissolve. So uh, I've been only in the industry for a little over a decade, but folks more senior than me tell me that uh, the upper Midwest order came very close to being dissolved about 15 years ago, if I understood them correctly. 
Mm-hmm. When a major dairy cooperative dissatisfied with the proposed change just came close to voting no on the proposed change, and that would have killed the order. So in a broader sense, you know, inclusiveness is always a massive business. But consensus building you know, has to happen even if it is a, an exhausting endeavor. Again, we're enjoying our conversation today on Dairy Stream. Our guest is Dr. Maren Bozik, and Dr. Bozik is the assistant professor in dairy food marketing economics at the University of Minnesota. I think he's done an excellent job of traveling what certainly is a winding and bumpy road when it comes to negative PPDs and even the federal milk marketing orders. But I don't want to go back to like my career because I remember late 70s, early 80s, producers were always talking about, you know, we have such a complex formula to determine milk prices. You know, why can't we set our price like the corn or soybean producer does? Uh, Do we really need to go beyond just the formulas? My question is, I guess, are there other structural changes that should be made or have to be made in the federal milk marketing orders? Well, you know, the formulas, the complex formulas would exist even if we didn't have federal orders in, in unregulated areas such as Idaho or some parts of South Dakota. Or even with, when you look at what some private cheese processors in California are doing, doing that some, when they do not pool, uh, they have all developed their own milk price formulas that is in some way, in some fashion tied to a price of the product that they're selling and the yield, how much of that product they can make per hundred weight of milk. And we see similar patterns overseas. The formulas themselves may be more or less less complex, but what really needs to be seen as simple is a social contract between the dairy farmers and the processing community. What do you mean by a social contract? So social contracts are some core principles in the same way that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness are not even in the Constitution. They are in the, in the Declaration of Independence. So, so right. we hold these truths to be self-evident. So, so what are the truths, that, the, the truths that we would hold self-evident? And I would propose four of them. Okay. Uh, first, the price of milk and milk solids paid to producers should reflect the value of commodity dairy products made with that milk. That under- relationship should be understandable without Byzantine and archaean elements that breed mistrust. Second, producers should be able to hedge price risk without with low basis risk. They should be able to engage in meaningful risk management. Third, processors keep all the risk and therefore get all the upside if they're making differentiated dairy products, such as specialty cheese, branded yogurts, or for example, customized fluid milk products. If you keep all the risk, of going beyond the commodity, you get to keep all the upside. That's only fair. And, if, and, and that, that brings me to point number four. If producers want to participate in this upside from uh, their milk going to differentiated dairy products, they can do so by either directing their cooperative to play in those markets, they own the cooperative, or by joining forces with a few other producers and starting their own dairy processing company. And we've seen examples of that from coast to coast, very successful examples. And then finally, what that, that brings us to the role of the government. What should the government do? Um, so government should create a situation and facilitate winning of new markets, serving new customers, and promoting fair and intense competition at all levels. Competition for foreign and domestic customers, new ones, and just as important, competition among processors for raw milk, whether they are cooperatives or private handlers, there is nothing better for a producer than there are multiple parties that want their milk um, to be be going to their plants. 
Well, I don't think you'd get a lot of arguments over that, but what stage might these five elements be in right now? Are, are they just something that you've been working on? Are they being discussed? Is there a possibility to become a reality? Uh, where does your kind of five commandments stand? <laughs> oh, please don't make me into a Moses. <laughs> so I, I, so, so I, I, I would say that if you look at the way the federal orders are designed right now, they, these principles have tried to be incorporated in the design of classified pricing and, and revenue pooling. Uh, the main problem is that the, the carrot that was used to make everyone play by, this, by, by these rules, those carrots you know, are, are fluid milk sales and that carrots are getting pretty short. And without you know, yeah. a good carrot, you cannot have a good stick either. Like you cannot force uh, processors to, to stay in the pool if there's not enough incentive for them to be in the pool. So, so we, we don't need to completely reinvent the wheel. We just need to step beyond these complex formulas, understand what are the principles that, are, that, have been, that people have over years tried to embody with those formulas and then take that to the core level and reimagine the system um, along the same lines. And we should never ever throw baby out with the bathwater. Uh, as, as frustrated as we are with the current system, um, you know, we should never just say throw out everything and let's start from scratch. You cannot do that. Like you have to start from where you are today, not from some imaginary standpoint. And, and we should, for all its shortcomings, we should still feel uh, satisfied that we have the system that allows people to, to manage risk, that, that, all, that uh, avoids civil war between producer groups fighting for, for fluid milk markets, that curbs market power of large buyers such as Walmart. Um, there are a lot of good from the current system that, that we should try to keep in whichever reform we do. I, I know that I'm uh, sounding a little bit, Mike, like I'm awaiting the answer, but I really don't think it's up to an academic to uh, uh, push the industry in a particular direction. Um, you know, we are here to, to analyze, we are here to provide insight, but producers and their cooperatives and their buyers, processors, they need to be in the driving seat and we can just serve as advisors, uh, maybe try to keep industry from steering in a, in, a, in a bad direction by pointing out some second order effects that may not always be anticipated well or thought through. But it, it ultimately, the industry needs to find a solution and, and Bozic and Stevenson and, uh, and others that are, that are serving as educators, we need to be in support role, not, not in the advocacy role. Well, he is Dr. Marin Bozic, and we certainly thank him for his insights today as he's kind of steered us through a long and winding road and taking some of the curves out of uh, this journey. And again, it gives you some food for thought and some options and opportunities, hopefully, uh, to move forward. And as this the heart of this Dairy Stream podcast has been, uh, we've been talking about negative PPDs and what it's meant to you individually as a dairy producer. And so I just want to close there, Marin, if I can, to kind of reiterate, because I think that's the question most people are hoping for some kind of answer is when you look at these negative PPDs, and I'm not asking for a date or a month or anything like that, but what do I need to watch in the market, in production, to let me know that, hey, yeah, this is what I got to follow if I want to see if it's going to turn from negative to positive. If we see powder prices rise relative to cheese prices, we are going to see positive PPDs this year. So if, if, the, if the class four price recovers and goes higher, if we are successful at exporting powders, that is going to make PPDs positive this year. 
All right. And again, I thank you for all your time. And I know a lot of people said when they heard you talk, said, holy Moses, that guy is good. So maybe that five commandments, <laughs> that was appropriate. <laughs> but thank you for being our guest today. You did a great job. Also want to thank, thank you. So much, Mike, for coming. You're most welcome. Thank Joanna Guzla. She does a great job of editing and producing Dairy Stream. And we do want to remind you that this is the place to be if you want to hear any news on any developments in the area of negative PPDs or federal milk marketing more orders. If that news happens, we're going to discuss it right here on Dairy Stream. I'm Mike Austin. Thanks for listening. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us podcast at dairyforward.com.